Uh, we are launching a brand new series of conversations today uh, called Good, Beautiful, and Kind. Uh, there's actually a book if you want to purchase it. You can find that on Amazon. It's called Good, Beautiful, and Kind uh, by Rich Velatis. Great book. Challenging uh, things are written in this book. So I would buy it with just, you know, caution. Caution yourself because it's going to challenge the way that you live. Um, but we're going to talk about it for several weeks. I get to open the series. I'm really excited. Um, now, I've been here for quite some time. You guys know quite a bit about me at this point. Um, and I think I've told you that I have, like, a tremendous case of, like, fear of missing out. Like, I just can't. I just, it's like, I don't even try to work through it anymore. It's just, this is how I am. So, uh, I don't like to miss any moments whatsoever. It's like a line in our house. Can't miss a moment. That's what my wife says to me. You can't miss a moment. Like if we get invited to a party, um, if the, if the party starts at seven, I will be there before seven. For me, like being punctual is just like a way of life. So like starts at seven, I'm showing up at six fifty at least like that's actually probably early or late, um, for me. Um, but we're, I'm chronically early to everything. Uh, it's bad. Now my wife's the opposite. Okay. So we've been married 10 years now, and uh, she just, it doesn't matter to her. Like, clocks, it is what it is. So um, if, like, I will drag everybody out of the house at the time I want to leave. I have not, I haven't phoned that part of my life in. I refuse to give it up um, because the reality is what happens. If you're not like me, if you like to show up late, I just want you to know you are missing inside jokes. And I refuse to miss inside jokes. I just can't do it. So I feel like if I show up early, I get to create the inside jokes. That's part of the trick. So I cannot be early. And now my wife knows this about me. So if we're headed to a party and it's people we know and we're coming as early as I like to be, she'll like text them on the way. Just like warn them. Like, hey, just want you to know we are on our way now. I understand it's very early, uh, but this is just who I married. So we will be there. Uh, We will be there early if you need help setting up. We will do that. Um, so that's just my life. I don't like to miss a moment uh, at all. Maybe you're like me. Uh, maybe you're not. And you're like, wow, this dude needs some therapy. I definitely do. But we're working through it. I did find out. I didn't say this last service. Um, surprise parties. I went to one like an hour and like a half late the other day, which is a trick. If you're like self-absorbed like me, it's a surprise to everybody at the surprise party that you came. So you've actually turned the surprise party into a surprise party for yourself. It's phenomenal. So I walked in and like, oh my gosh, you made it. I'm like, yeah, I did. It was the best feeling ever. Anyway, that's just <laughs> anyway. Um, now, enough about me. Um, this might not be a newsflash, um, but we are actually living in a decently fractured world, right? Like the whole the the, the subtitle of the book is "Good, Beautiful, and Kind: Finding Wholeness." in a fractured world. Like you and I live in a fractured world. It is unbelievable how easy, like it could be the worst thing ever could be happening in society. Like we could, we could literally be watching on video somebody being like brutally, like basically murdered at the hands of police officers. And, and we live in a world where people will argue about it. We live in a fractured world. No matter what is happening around us, we are living in a time and space where we will find a reason to argue about anything. It is unbelievable. Like, how broken are we that no matter what is happening around, no matter how good 
or how bad or just how outlandish it is, we will always find ourselves in a place where we'll argue about it. It is like insane how easy we have divided our world. There's actually full Instagram accounts now. They're dumbing down news so much. They're giving you all three sides of a news article. It's like, can't we just read things in a balanced way? It's like, no, because we live in a fractured world. Added to the fact that currently, uh, it used to be that if you took a survey, if Gallup called you and they were like, hey, like, what is your religious affiliation? Like, seven out of ten people or more would just click off Christian because their grandma was a Christian and their parents, like, tried to force them. They got their first communion, the whole thing. And so, Christian, we are living in a world right now where that is the minority of individuals. We are a post-Christian culture. Okay, so this changes, it honestly changes how we interact with Scripture. It changes how we interact with people. But I want you to know we are living in a pivotal cultural moment right now. And how we respond to this moment, really, it really dictates generations to come. I'm not even just saying that. Like how we respond to this cultural moment, it truly dictates how your kids and their kids will experience the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I want you to know that our failure to love, it is our lack of love that is causing the fracture in the world around us. The failure to love. In fact, the failure to love is the most pervasive sin on the face of the planet. Now, when I say sin, I already know I've split the room, okay? I know how this works. I've been at this long enough. When I say even the word sin, there's a group of people on one side that is finally like, yes, they are going to do it. This is the weekend. We're going to line them up. We're just going to point it all out. Everything you've done wrong, we're just going to lay it bare and let you know this is how we believe, and you're doing it wrong, like, finally. And then there's another group on the other side. They're like, oh, my gosh, another community I find myself that is just going to point out and be judgmental to the different subsets in the community I find myself in, figures I find in the church. Those are the two groups. Now, to both sides, I'll just let you take a deep breath, okay? We're going to talk about sin. Now, when Scripture says the word sin, sin is not an English word. It's a word that literally means to miss the mark. It's an archery term. It means to miss the mark. And today, we are going to talk about sin as it relates to a failure to love. Because as far as I'm concerned, the thing that makes sin so pervasive is the fact that sin is truly a failure to love. It is a failure to love. So, Because the reality is, you can't legislate sin away. You can't even behave yourself away from sin. You just can't. You cannot, you can't sleep it away. You can't vote it out. Like you more, you can get as many degrees as you want. Sin is still a reality. You can try to find a moral person. You can try to study up on Mother Teresa until you are just blue in the face and try to copy everything that she did. I can promise you it will not save you from the pervasiveness of sin. Just strictly being a moral person doesn't save you from the pervasiveness of sin. Now here's what Jesus has a conversation in Luke chapter 10 with an expert in the law. I'm just going to read a couple verses. I'm going to read it again a little bit. This is what it says. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? 
Jesus answers, what's written in the law? Like, how do you read it? And the guy says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, you've answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. Now, in his book, this is what Rich Vallada says in regards to that. Jesus' summary of Holy Scripture leads me to a conclusion that might surprise you. If the greatest commandment given by Jesus is rooted in love, the greatest sin, and perhaps all of sin, must in some way be the rejection of this command. This is what makes sin so problematic. It orients us inward. It curves us in on ourselves, and in so doing, it uproots love, goodness, beauty, and kindness. What Jesus is affirming in this passage of Scripture, if love is the fulfillment of faith, then sin is the negation of it. Sin isn't just a violation of the law. It's not just doing things wrong. Sin is actually a disruption of love because it causes us to turn inward, to be so self-absorbed that we miss the moments that require us to display the love of God. So when we say sin, when we talk about missing the mark, what we're actually talking about is that there's been a disruption of the love of God in the world around us, and it is causing the world to fracture. So this series, we need to reframe how we view sin. It is not just the fact that you are tempted and you made a mistake and you sinned. It isn't just the fact that you keep like making misbehavioral mistakes. Well, that's just a small part of it. At the end of the day, if you sum up all of Scripture, it is love God and love people. A failure to do that perfectly is sin. A failure to do that perfectly is why the world we live in is so jacked up. Our world is fractured because we lack love. We can restore it by choosing to live and love like Jesus, which is easier said than done. So let's go to this story. If you've been in the church for any amount of time, this is the Good Samaritan story. What a beautiful story written by Jesus. Like just, oh, the Good Samaritan. But let's read it because it's crazy, okay? So I'm going to start from verse 25 again. It says, on one occasion, an expert of the law, he stood up to test Jesus. Some translations will say he stood up to trap Jesus. Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? Jesus replied, how do you read it? He answers, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, all your strength, all your mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says, you answer correctly, do this and you will live. This is where it gets crazy. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? And in reply, Jesus tells a story. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii, which is money, and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you any extra expense you may have. Now Jesus turns to the expert in the law. He says, which of these three men do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert of the law, since he's not dumb, he replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus says, go and do 
likewise. Now, the, the, the subject of this entire scripture, it hinges on this idea of love. In other words, love is like the very essence of the law. And now this expert in the law, he's essentially, you have to think of him almost as like a seminary professor. Okay, this guy knows the law like a back of his hand. Now he's trying to trap Jesus. And so Jesus basically knows that this is what's going on. He knows this guy's trying to trap me. And so Jesus actually turns the trap into a trap of his own. Very confusing. We'll make sense of it in a second. Okay, because what Jesus ends up doing is basically saying to him, yeah, a love that is impossible for you to achieve, that is the love you need to show to inherit eternal life. And so what Jesus knows that you probably don't know is that religious leaders at this time were constantly trying to trap Jesus. Every time Jesus went somewhere, he was being questioned and tested and asked because these guys, they desperately needed Jesus off the map. They had built up this great institution of religion. They had a good thing going with the Roman Empire. They had a good thing going where they got to oppress whoever they wanted, but at least they had theirs. Like they had a good thing going. Now Jesus comes along and he starts giving a voice to the voiceless. He starts helping oppressed people. He starts giving people who weren't of the elite space. His own disciples were people that nobody wanted to talk to. He had tax collectors. He had zealots. He had fishermen. Like, these are gruff dudes. He had women following him around. Like, no rabbi during this time had the people that Jesus had. And he was turning the city upside down. They needed him out. So this guy, this expert in the law, he knew, if I can get this rabbi, Jesus, to dishonor the law of Moses, we can kill him. I can get him arrested for blaspheming. I can get him arrested for being a heretic. And then we can finally kill him. So he asks the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What he was expecting Jesus to do was basically be like, listen, I know you know the law. But from this point forward, don't look at the law. Look at me. From this point forward, don't worry about what the Ten Commandments say. I know you're an expert in the law. You've got like 613 rules that you follow. From this point forward, don't worry about all that stuff. Just follow me. That's what he thought Jesus was going to say. But Jesus, he traps him on his own. He's basically, he knew a rabbi during this time, if you were to ask them, what does the law say? Any good rabbi during this time would have summed up the law with love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus knew this. So Jesus asks him, well, what does the law say? And the guy says, well, perfectly love God and perfectly love your neighbor, and then you can have eternal life. And Jesus is like, yeah, go do that. Just go do that. And you're, you got it. You're straight. This is perfect. But aside from the fact that it's hard, it's actually, it's actually impossible like, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. There's a religious scholar who said, what you do in solitude is your religion. Like, your religion is actually what you do when you're on your, own, on your own, where your thoughts go when you're on your own, where your time goes when you're on your own. It is impossible in your humanity to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That in and of itself is impossible. Like, you and I on our own, as much as you want to muster up the courage to do it, you can't. It is impossible to do that perfectly. And then he follows it up with, love your neighbor as yourself. It sounds so pretty. The golden rule, they've plastered it in schools. Do unto others. Treat others the way you want to be treated. Like, it sounds so phenomenal until you actually have to do it. Like, to do that perfectly means in every situation you find yourself in, you are perfectly choosing to put others' needs above your own. 
You're basically saying, I know I need X, Y, and Z to live. I'm going to show perfect love to my neighbor by giving them exactly what they need perfectly. If we're honest with ourselves, even when we're helping somebody, it's in the back of our minds. Like, I really don't want to be doing this. I got way other things that I could be doing in my time right now. This is not what I want to be doing. If we're honest with ourselves, I actually think we're pretty terrible at loving our neighbor. If we were great at it, I don't think we'd have the issues that we have in the world around us. If we always chose to just perfectly love our neighbor, election seasons would be easy. It would be, oh, I would love to be a part of it. Like, let's do that. This is so fun. But no, no, no. We are not that great at these things. But what's actually amazing is Gallup, they actually did a poll. They asked the question, do you think you're more loving than the average person? 90% of people said, yeah, definitely. Way more loving than the average person. It's hilarious. Anyway, uh, love people like Jesus. You'll have eternal life. And you can actually help restore a fractured world. Now here, the crutch of the entire passage, the only reason Jesus, we even got the story of the Good Samaritan, is how this guy responds. When Luke wrote the story, he said, but he wanted to justify himself. So he asked, who is my neighbor? He wanted to justify himself. How are you trying to justify yourself? See, I, like, I say it all the time because I think it helps me like, get through it. Like, I don't work out. It is what it is. And I used to try to justify myself. Like, I used to, like, I, I was, like, if was, when I was, like, 28, I'm 35 now. So when I was in my mid-20s, I was like, it's not going to catch up to me for a long time. I've got time, you know. I don't have time to go to the gym right now. But, like, my metabolism's still kicking. Like, we're fine. Like, I'm skinny fat. Like, people don't know. So, like, I'm good. Like, on the BMI things, I'm never on the, like, obese side. So, like, we've got time. Like, we're good. And then, like, it catches up. Like, your body keeps score. It's a book. I never read it, but it is a book. And, like, I just, like, I would always, like, I don't have time. And then finally, uh, a, few, a few months ago, it was a, one of my dumber decisions. I started working out with CJ. And, like, it's just not, like, I go to the gym because I want to talk. Like, I want to have conversation. It's quality time with the boys. But there's no talking with him. He's just, like, brutal. He's, like, mean. It's not nice. Like, he's kind to you in the lobby, but that's because you're not at the gym with him. And it's just not nice. So I was like, I'm just done trying to justify this. I'm just not good at this. This is what it is. My wife and I go to Project Lean Nation, not for meal planning, but for their smoothies, because they got the best smoothies in the world. And it's like, like, but like, I'm just, I've tried to justify myself. But like, how are you justifying yourself? Because what the lawyer should have said is, well, I can't actually do that. So what do I have to do? Like, I've actually tried to love God with everything in me. I've set up all these rules and all these parameters, and yet I'm still messing up. Like, I still yell at my wife. I still scream at my kids. Like, I've tried everything. I still secretly, these guys probably, like, I still secretly break the Sabbath on my own. Like, I've tried. And love my neighbor. You've seen how I treat people who are different than me. So help me out, Jesus. Like, how do I, but no. This guy was like, well, who was my neighbor? The question you have to ask yourself is, in what ways are you trying to justify yourself? Because your morality cannot justify you. Your behavior, it cannot justify you. Your voting record can actually not justify you. And every attempt that we make to justify our own goodness or our own level of love will always lead to comparison. Because I promise you, when you are looking for it, you will always find someone who's seemingly more loving. You'll always find someone who's seemingly better at being good than you. 
And every time you start to compare, it will always lead to jealousy and envy every single time, which is one of the most pervasive things that humans have to do with, have to deal with, is jealousy and envy. There's no grace in trying to justify yourself. There's actually no mercy in trying to justify yourself. And what's interesting is that our own feeble attempts to justify our own goodness, my own feeble attempts to justify my own goodness, it actually pales in the comparison to the standard set by God. It pales in comparison. So after this question, we get the story of the Samaritan and the Jew. Now this story is radical in every sense of the word. It is extreme. It is, it is like over the top. And I think that's for a reason. Now some background. Jesus opens and he says a man is traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. And he was attacked by robbers. The road from Jerusalem to Jericho during this time especially was notoriously dangerous. They knew people were going to be walking. Jericho was actually like a merchant town. There was a lot of money going to and from Jericho at this time. It was built around this like oasis. So they knew that people with money had to get from Jerusalem to Jericho. So robbers would hang out and they would jump people and rob them of all their money and kill them. This was the road. Everyone knew it. Everyone knew this road was dangerous. And so uh, Jesus tells the story. Now he says that a Levite and a priest were walking down the road. Now, again, Levites and priests were like, they were, they were public enemy number one on this road. Like, you do not want to be caught on this road. This would be like driving into the most dangerous part of Rochester in the middle of the night and seeing someone on the side of the road who desperately needed help and thinking to yourself, I'm alone, but I've got this, okay? That would be, if someone told you that story, you'd be like, wow, you really took your life in your hands. That, that was dangerous. And so these guys, they knew that it was dangerous. And they were so inward focused. They were caught up in their own safety. They were caught up in their own schedules. They were living exclusive lives. You could say that they saw the guy and it says they went to the other side of the road. They probably looked over and they're like, oh, he's half dead. The, the robbers are probably still here. And they probably picked up the pace a little bit. They went to the opposite side and probably started booking it to get there so that they didn't die too. And then Jesus flips the script on this story. And he says, a Samaritan saw him. Now, again, what you need to understand is that the Jewish people and the Samaritan people in this day hated each other. And went back to their, the, the Jewish people's time in captivity. They got out. They're trying to rebuild their temple. And literally, the Samaritans, they'd kill pigs, which was seen as an offensive thing in the Israelite community. They would throw the dead pigs into the construction site of the temple so the Jewish people have to go through the ritualistic cleansing process to start working again. Like, these people were at each other all the time. It is said that during this time, the Jewish people would do a daily prayer. And at the end... They would literally, some of them will pray, and please do not welcome any Samaritans on Resurrection Day. These people loved each other. And the way Jesus tells this story, he says the Samaritan went, took pity on the guy. The Samaritan got dirty. The Samaritan, he took his own life in his hands. The Samaritan ruined his own schedule. It says that the, the Samaritan man, he paid the man, and then some. Some scholars said that the two denarii, that, that money figure they used, was the equivalent of two months' rent, two months' mortgage that this guy gave. And then he gave more to the innkeeper. He said, hey, whatever you spend. He spent money on the man. He was an advocate all for a sworn enemy. 
Could you imagine? The mark of a heart touched by God will inevitably be drawn to deeds of compassion to the neediest, most broken, furthest away from you in every way. The heartbeat of becoming whole in a fractured world is choosing to love this way. Loving the people that are different than you. Now, I think one of the scariest things that has happened since COVID to the church isn't the fact that we had to wear masks for a few weeks, not the fact that we had to close down services for a year. What's happened is that people are, are actually leaving church communities to go to different church communities that are more like them. It's the homogenous like, migration of church. I think it's the scariest thing ever. I think that the church was always meant to be a place where people who look different than me, smell different than me, have a different, have a different life background than me, can actually come and find hope and healing. Anything less than that isn't actually unity, it's broken. Anything less than that isn't actually what the church was supposed to be. You, you would be hard-pressed to find a scripture that doesn't talk about how the church, like heaven, it's like every tribe every tongue. The church was supposed to be a diverse community of differing thoughts, all centered around the fact that we are trying to live, look, and love like Jesus. That is the foundation and the ground that everything needs to be built on. Anything less, anything less is the destruction of what Jesus tried to do. Anything less. It is not unity. It's broken. Now, our failure to love has fractured the world, but we can find wholeness by loving like Jesus. Now, on Friday uh, afternoon at some point, CJ had a, had a moment, and I was going to tell the story, but it's his story, so he's going to tell it. Otherwise, I'd butcher it. So, CJ, why don't you come up and uh, just share with the people what happened on Friday. So, um, I shared this on Saturday morning at the uh, prayer service for those who were there. Um, so, Friday, if anyone was outside on Friday, you know Friday was ridiculously cold and so Friday I leave my house just for a quick second just to go get some food and things like that for my family and I'm just shoveling a little bit around the car uh, just to make some space start the car to warm it and as I'm there this guy pops up like out of nowhere and he's like like I, and you can hear like the shivering in his voice you can you could just hear it he's like hey man um you know you have any like off the book jobs or something like that I can do um, I need $350 uh, $350 for my rent um, or I'm going to get kicked out. And, and as Josh was talking about, and part of the reason I shared this story yesterday morning during service was because I was so convicted of being that person who just like looks the other way or just, um, just so self-absorbed and caught up in my day and my schedule. And so just being that person, I'm just like shoveling. I'm like, uh, you know, I'm sorry, man. There's nothing I can do. And then... I kind of get like a quick like check in my heart, um, almost as if God was like, just look at him. And so I just pause for a second. I look up at the guy and I could literally see icicles hanging from his eyelashes, icicles hanging from his eyebrows. And I'm like, like, man, like, 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 well, like how, how do you even get here? Um, he's like, you know, I walked for about two hours just to, I was looking for a church or something that can help me. Can I, is there a way I could get inside the church or something? And I'm like, man, like, all right. Like the, the church is, is, is closed. The church is technically closed on Fridays, but um, it, I, 
just here. I, I, so I put my shovel down. I told him, um, let's get in the car. Um, so I put him in the car. Um, actually, I forgot this before I even get in the car. He's like so shaken, so messed up. He's just like, man, you know how uh, I've heard that people say you can die in the cold from being too cold. He's like, I feel like I'm right there. I, f I feel like I'm right there. And so I, I get him in the car. And, you know, as he's like defrosting and stuff like that, I'm like, man, we could uh, go get some food or something like that. And he's like, man, I haven't eaten in two days. So I'm like, all right, let's 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 go get some food. And sidebar, I'm not saying this story. They don't look at me as good because I got convicted on even how slow and stuff I was moving um, after. But we go get some food. And as we're talking, he's like, man, like, do you go to the church? I'm like, yeah, I, I go to the church. Um, and he's like, you know, are, are, um, are you on a prayer team or something like that? You know, I, I need some prayer. I need somebody to pray for me. I'm like, yeah, I guess you could say I'm on a prayer team, man. Um, and then... He's like, um, he just, he just kept pushing. He let you know, you so, you know, what, do you do anything at the church? And I'm like, yes, man. I'm one of the pastors on staff. And he's like, what, really? Um, as if like he had hit the jackpot or something. And I'm like, I'm like, man, just um, come on, man. We're gonna get the food. So we we get the food, and he's giving me more background on his story, and I'll spare some of the details. Um, I get him, drive him back to his house where he came from, and I'm like, man, I have like nothing else to like give you right now but I can come pick you up Sunday morning um get you to the church when the church is open maybe there's some more people there um who'll be able to like just help you or something but we figure something out and so um that's where that story ends for now but uh, I was telling Josh it was it's just so easy for us as you yeah. said just to be so self-absorbed yeah. um so about our day and I just got so convicted and I told the story Saturday morning and the church prayed and so um I'll yeah. turn it Thank back you. to you Thanks, CJ. You know, the, the mark of a follower of Jesus is someone who can look the most broken person in the face and view them as a mirror rather than an obstacle. View them as a mirror rather than a problem that they hope someone deals with someday. See, Paul, the apostle, he wrote in 1 Timothy, uh, he says, here's a trustworthy saying, worthy of full acceptance. Trustworthy saying, worthy of full acceptance. Christ came to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. Christ came to, other translations say, Christ came to save sinners, of whom I am chief. I love that verse. I love what he didn't say. Christ came to save sinners, of whom at one point in my life, I was bad. He didn't say, Christ came to save sinners, of whom at one point, I was the chief of them. There was a time in my life where I just couldn't make anything right, and man, Christ came to save me because I was, I was bad. No, he says, Christ came to save, save sinners, of whom I am chief. I don't think he misspoke. I don't think he was like, oh, I meant to say was. I think when Paul looked at humans, he truly saw the mercy of God in his own life. I truly believe that when Paul saw the brokenness of the world, he didn't see a problem that he hoped someone would deal with. No, he saw an opportunity to love only the way that he was loved first. I think Paul truly believed that he was the worst of sinners. Can we view the brokenness around us as a mirror? Because newsflash, at one point, you and I were separated from the love of Jesus. At one point, you and I could not put one foot in front of the other the right way to save our lives. 
At one point, you were just as broken as the worst of sinners. We have all been broken. This is why he says, I am the worst. Do you realize that Jesus did not miss the moment with you and me? Jesus was our Samaritan. Jesus came and he became my neighbor so that I could be a neighbor to the people around me. Without Jesus choosing the cross, you and I would always be stuck with brokenness. You and I would always be stuck with the only best option would be to live a nice, clean, moral life and to point the finger at the people that don't. Our only option would be judgment. But because Jesus chose the cross, because he said, you know what? I will become your Samaritan. He has actually given us a miraculous way to live, look, and love like Jesus. And I'm here to tell you that anything less than that is living a sinful life. Now, can you imagine a church community that chooses to live this way? That chooses to say, Jesus, without you, I am nothing. A church community that always keeps their story before they met him right next to them, like arm in arm. I remember what it was like before I met him. Come with me, let me show you a better way. Imagine a community that emphatically says things like we join God's work of cultivating new beginnings in all of us everywhere. A church that emphatically says welcome home, that it's not just a building but a place of refuge in God who is our home. A place where our souls discover and practice the ways of Jesus together as we learn to love God, love ourselves, and love others wholeheartedly. A church where we break new ground together. We celebrate every milestone while looking towards the future with vision, faith, and hope. A place where we bring each other into our fullest existence, practicing the presence of others, cultivating community and hospitality. Where we create room for everyone's journey, whether new, new to it, working through it, or growing in their faith. A place where we actually value diversity and generations, desiring this to be a good home to grow old in and a good home to grow up in. Where we follow the seasonal rhythms that help us stay rooted in God's story. Where we're attentive to God's activity through our lives, gifts, stories, and vocations as we contribute to build his mission. And a place where we're marked by heaven's compassion, where people are drawn from impossible situations into hope and acceptance. Could you imagine what would happen to the city around us? Imagine you live in Brighton and you decide that you're going to be marked by heaven's compassion. Imagine you live in the inner city and you decide you're actually going to draw people from hope into a place of hope and acceptance. Imagine you're sitting in Albion right now and you decide that today you are going to choose to live, look, and love like Jesus. Imagine what would happen in Chilai if you actually decided to be marked by heaven's compassion towards those who are hurt and broken. What would happen just to our city if we decided that we were going to take the very words of Jesus seriously and realize that Christ came to save sinners of whom we are the worst. Thank God we're at a church where the, the person we worship specializes in damaged goods. Thank God the person we worship isn't asking for us to have X, Y, and Z together before we lift our arms and worship. Thank God 
There is a God who actually values our humanity enough to rescue us from ourselves. Thank God we worship a God who is full of grace and full of mercy. And maybe you are here today and you have simply forgotten it. There's a practice in this book that you can get that, we've been, that we're going to go through this month. It's the practice of confession. It's simply expressing your heart to God and saying, God, my sin has caused me to turn my life inward. I have become self-absorbed. I put other things before you. I fooled myself into thinking that I can adequately love in my own power. Now, Jesus, today I recognize that without your grace and mercy, I am a sinner. Please heal my brokenness so that I may love the way that you love. Maybe you're here today and you have never prayed that prayer of confession. Or maybe you have and you realize that as time wore on, you became, you've started to look more and more like an expert in the law. Started to look more and more like someone who can so easily point out what everybody else is doing wrong, not realizing that your past self is right next to you. I'm wondering if today maybe we can say this prayer of confession together, if you want. So right where you're at, this is how I'm going to close today. You can just, if you would like to, you can put your hand right on your heart. You can repeat these after me. God, we acknowledge and confess that we have sinned. We've sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbor as ourselves. Deepen within us our sorrow for the wrong we have done. And the good that we have left undone. God, you are full of compassion. You are slow to anger. You are full of mercy. There's always forgiveness with you. So God, in this moment, restore the joy of your salvation. Bind up that which is broken. Give light to our minds strength to our wills and rest to our souls let your word abide within us until it has made us holy like you in Jesus name Amen